Welcome to the Life in the Front Office podcast with Seattle University's MSLBL program, uh, presenting the Sports Biz Leaders Mindset Series. I'm your host, Jake Hirschman, along with Elliot Marr, a coordinator of U.S. National Women's Basketball Team uh, out in Colorado Springs. And, and Elliot, really excited to talk to you today about uh, your path, um, your involvement with the Seattle program, and then also uh, what you're doing now and how you're constantly working on becoming a leader um, and and leading those that you are right now. So welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. It's kind of an exciting thing to, I was more than happy to put something really important to do on this week. So <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. So as you, you know, embarked on your, your journey through sports, um, you spent some time uh, growing up in Seattle, you went to Seattle University for undergrad and graduate school. Uh, you also worked for the Seattle University women's basketball team as their director of operations. Um, tell me a little bit about kind of your your background, your experience, and, and why you got into the women's basketball space from the start. Sure, yeah. It's actually kind of a, a funny thing that I, I just finished a really good book on kind of not specializing type stuff. Um, I was really set to go on the traditional doctor path. My undergrad degree is uh, pre-medical biology, chemistry. Um, and at Seattle University, that was kind of what I was set to do. That summer after my graduation, I had planned to take the MCAT. Um, but during my time there in my free time, um, I was a manager, actually, for the women's basketball team, uh, just sort of as a for fun thing to do. Uh, I'd grown up always playing basketball. My family has a nonprofit um, youth Asian American sports organization in Seattle, actually, that my family founded. Um, so sports has always been a big part of my life. Um, but to that point, kind of more of a, a for fun hobby involvement. Again, I was more than ready to go off and do the whole doctor thing for decades. Um, but it just so happened that the summer of my graduation, um, the opposite, the time was leaving um, and I figured no harm, no foul, right? Like I was applying for jobs anyway. I think at the time I had a summer gig lined up to work at the golf course up there. Um, and did that for like a couple months um, until my application got back to me. And the coach at the time um, was already comfortable with me as a manager and just said, hey, we'll give you a shot. Um, I figured why not, right? Like I had fun and it was something that I knew I could stick around the team. And it was a job. And that was kind of how the story was written for Seattle U. Did that for five years. Um, some of the best times of my life for those five years, getting to learn a small Jesuit university. Um, as I think a lot of people in the industry understand, um, job title kind of is one thing, but then understanding the specific nature of that title with each individual institution, it kind of takes on a different flavor um, depending on where you go. And I was allowed a great deal of responsibility gained through my time there just because it was a smaller institution. I got to see a lot of different areas and appreciate how those support areas went into really what you see as a finished product with any team. Yeah. And one would say, you know, when you talk to a lot of people in, in the industry about, Hey, how did you start? Where did you start? Where did you get your experience? What would you advise? You know, a lot of them will say minor league sports. A lot of them would say maybe a smaller college, right? Because you can get that experience, um, not necessarily under a microscope, right? And I, I think that ability to, you know, have a little bit of uh, trial and error, have some fun, um, 
and be able to take on more than you normally would, you know, at a big, you know, big, big program um, or, you know, professional sports team, perhaps, uh, I think is certainly a valuable experience. And you get to lead or, you know, learn from from different types of leaders as well. Right. So let's talk a little bit about how you, you know, over the five years and then now as you've transitioned into this role with um, the U.S. national team, you know, how, how are you a leader uh, and, and then how do you um, look up to some of the other leaders uh, around you? Because there's more than just one. Yeah, I think my time at Seattle University, um, again, as you alluded to, kind of that position, I guess for me specifically in the ops position, um, I really enjoyed it because I was able to maintain um, more of that person interaction, especially at a collegiate amateur level. Um, the student development was always my favorite part. Um, kind of getting that class in as freshmen and watching them go through those four years and see them career-wise, um, basketball skill-wise grow. And so in a leadership role in that way, uh, that's really something that I got into reading more of. I, I went in to get my master's in sports management and leadership um, to really get a better understanding of how in my particular role um, I could still do that and strive for a mastery and how I can set an example like every day in that way. It's, it's something I would want in myself, but how can I do that um, in a way that I would want to essentially have that stamp of approval whenever I saw a class go through and graduate. It's like, I would want someone who's been charged with my care, right. Setting a great example for me um, every day. And it's kind of, I don't want that to be a forced thing. I think that's one thing that I've seen um, from people I look up to, um, from people that I follow the advice of, is that for me, it, it's never been a, hey, you should listen to this person because of their accolades or their resume. It's an intrinsic want to say, you know, they really do do things the right way, just observationally. Um, so it was always my hope every day I came in um, during my time at Seattle U to just operate in a way that I would want to be seen um, from the outside. I think my hope was that any players I saw um, were able to take that away and say, you know what, like it might be a tough day um, or here are some struggles that I've had, um, but that I can look to this position that has no effect on my playing time, right? Like the ops positions, very administrative, um, very support staff, kind of chief of staff, get everyone together, um, how it's structured, but in that way, a comfort level saying, well, this is how I want to carry myself professionally um, through school, um, I guess that's how I would communicate wanting to view a leader or how I view role models in my life. Yeah. And, and now, you know, as through observation and being part of, of the organization that you are now, you're around obviously some great players, but then also even better coaches in that there's, you know, a tremendous amount you can learn from how they conduct themselves on a day-to-day -day basis. What are some of the mindsets that you see, them have in terms of how they approach their day-to-day -day, uh, so that the leader comes out naturally like you were talking about? Uh, I think that's – I actually got one teed up for this one because uh, I, I bring it up <laughs> all the time with uh, – I still keep in contact with some of the recently graduated seniors I used to have. Um, and then one thing that on my couple visits back to Seattle with my old coaches I brought up was um, the very first trip I got to take with the national team here um, – one of the staff members who's been here forever um, and I got to, I've gotten to take incredible notes obviously from, from them uh, was, Hey, you gotta, you gotta really watch when you're there and take in that first moment you meet um, Diana Tarasi. 
I was like, okay, great. Like I know all these players obviously by name. It's it's not tough to know um, that they're great leaders and great competitors. But the special note that they made was you, you got to be aware of the energy. Like you won't know when they enter the room. Um, they could do it unannounced and you'd still feel it. Um, and so from a leadership role in that standpoint and getting to know that level of what makes them different, um, I distinctly remember um, the first time I met a couple of those players and the difference has nothing to do with their inherent talent um, or the, the level of competition that they've achieved. It has everything to do with their personality, their approach, um, all the intangibles that you're in complete control of as far as your character goes. I think uh, the group that I've gotten the, the great opportunity to work with this past year, especially with that national team, um, and really all the way down through our junior players with the USA basketball program has been the culture that they set. And again, these are the top, what, like 1% of 1% of basketball players on the planet, really. And that talent mm-hmm. is not what sets them apart. It's, it's the kind of it factor. And so it's, that's the one thing I wanted to communicate back to a lot of my former players um, and kind of that magic that um, I get to communicate back to my old coaches, which is that difference, that kind of new challenge that I was seeking um, when I made the move out here was, okay, I feel really comfortable, right? At CLU, I feel like I know this at the back of my hand. I'm approaching that feeling of mastery and that's not the point. It's, there should be a challenge there. There should be a desire um, to want to seek that intangible thing. And I think it, it's funny this last week we had the WNBA draft and most of those players that we saw go, it's like, I can point to your X's and O's, your analytics, but most of them it's like, yeah, you're taking someone and I would say they're a sure thing because of something that you, there's no way you could write it down. You have to meet them in person and you just inherently have that intrinsic part of leadership. Just, I want to follow that story. Something about meeting this person, you, you want to invest in something you can almost have as a bankable, intangible part of their persona. So that it factor that you're talking about, and I think it's crucial because people can have it. I want, I want people to understand that you can have that it factor, even if you're not a player, right? You, you could be a coach, you could be a finance, you could be accounting. I mean, you, you could do, you could be a doctor, right? But you have that it factor. Um, what are some of the things that, you know, whether it's impacting the community, impacting people around them, uh, whether it's family oriented personality, like you talked about, what are some of those things that you're seeing from the top to also the youth level, like you're talking about, you, you mentioned you got the youth programs and, and all the players that are coming through there. You know, what, what are some of the messages that are being passed down to, to those youth uh, as they continue to, to develop uh, similar to the players that you had at Seattle? Uh, I think it's the number one thing that I see as a commonality among really, especially at this level where it's just top talent competing against top talent the most successful cases are when a person possesses poise in really any given situation. And that's not to say that like, you're just this robot, um, but the ability to move on quickly and again, hold that poise. It's, it's, I think most of the great 
leaders and role models that I hold um, as people to look to. It's not that they never mess up or haven't failed exponentially before. It's their ability to pivot um, and not be deterred from their overall goal. I think that everyone has, or everyone that has that level of success has that singular vision um, and is not afraid to know that it, all that they care about is that one success and are willing to fail hundreds and hundreds of times to get there without having that be a commentary or jab on them personally. I think even the youth ages, um, the people that separate themselves from um, the group are the ones that essentially aren't, <laughs> don't spend too much time moping about it. Um, and that's, that's, again, a big difference on those intangibles between the, the level of talent, honestly, from where I was coming from at the smaller um, Seattle University to here, which is, again, the top talent in the country. Uh, it's just people yeah. who have gone through that struggle and don't spend time like tweeting about it. <laughs> it's like, I, sure. I, I really don't. It's not that they don't have time for it. It's just that it's not important to make time for it. Right. Well, and, you know, from a development standpoint, right, you you were able to learn from many of the players, the coaches, uh, as you're working, you know, at, at the Seattle level, as well as now what you're doing with the U.S. team. And if someone were to ask you, hey, how did you get to where you were or what do I need to do to, to be you? Right. Not that we want to not that we want to copy you. Right. But, um, you know, if you wanted to follow a similar path in terms of the operational realm uh, that you, you know, deal with on a day-to-day basis in terms of kind of more or less the chief of staff being, the, being the glue kind of like they call it, I, I, I would think um, what are some of the, the skills that you have to possess? Um, and to your point about failure, you know, what are, I mean, you just got to keep knocking down doors, right. Until someone gives you a yeah. shot. Um, I think, my biggest thing would be, again, in line with that is uh, the benefit, of course, of Seattle, you as a smaller place. And you brought that up completely on point before was it, it's nice that it was sort of like a where I knew, yes, like everything very important to do very well, have attention to detail. At the same time, it wasn't like I was in front of a network audience every day. Um and was afforded the ability to experiment and ask questions. Um, The biggest thing to me was I was constantly asking questions. I think my first year, again, this just wasn't what I went to school for at all. And I didn't have a whole bunch of lead up time. And we'll get, we'll get to that in a minute too. Yeah. Yeah. This is kind of like, you know, it's something that I knew I wanted to do and I wanted it to be a fun thing. Um, And I think my main commitment, and it still is today, I guess my, my main commitment is I've seen plenty of people who their biggest advice to me was you just need to find something where you don't go to work every day. You can have a job, you can have all those things, but really the golden egg is, can you find something where you're not waking up and it's like, God, I got to go through this routine of I need my coffee in the morning or I'm not going to be able to make it through the day. It's like, your goal should just be to find something or make whatever you do something where you're excited to ask those questions. You're excited to, to know what you don't know um, and grow from it. And I think my five years at CLU, there wasn't a day 
that went by, even if it was a tough day where there wasn't a challenge, I wasn't willing to enlist the help of someone else or ask questions or personally figure something out where it was like, this is a fun puzzle. Cause I know at the end of it, like I will have gotten better. Um, I will be able to teach that to someone else um, in that role too. I think the, the best barometer for me, um, not having anyone really around professional to bounce ideas off of all the time uh, was that classic example of if you can teach it to someone else in layman's terms, um, that really gets you confidence in knowing, yeah, I really know this now. So I think always measuring myself to the point where it was like, okay, your one is done. Could I go back and communicate that now to my interns or my GAs? Um, and that was always a really important thing. If they looked at me kind of crazy or like that task would be difficult, I knew that I wasn't personally there yet. And that was a nice way for me to work um, kind of with my staff instead of having um, kind of the management up and down thing. I think I was always happy to be part of a team. Yeah, no, part of a team is, is certainly – um, something that allows you to learn a lot of different lessons as opposed to not. And, you know, I would think almost in most things in life, you, you're, you're working on some sort of a team, even if it's just two people. Yeah. Right. Um, so as, as you mentioned earlier in the episode that you wanted to be a doctor, um, or at least that's, that's what you were set out on the path yeah. to be. How did your, how did your education not only your undergrad, but then also going through the grad program affect uh, kind of your ability um, and your, your, your background and experience to be prepared uh, for what you're doing now. Uh, I think the pre-medical background for undergrad was hugely important in how it shaped my interaction with people and my understanding of what difficult is. Um, and kind of the, the perception of what the, the negative connotation behind words, like, a like limitations and like your own personal, I guess, dislikes of what you want to do. Um, I think my, my ultimate choice in, in doing four years to get like a <laughs> bachelor of science and not ending up using it, uh, I think it was hugely helpful in, in establishing just, you know, there wasn't anything I would rather have done. And at the time it was what I wanted to do. Um, and hugely challenging. I think that was part of the draw was all those classes for four years. I mean, the whole point of that whole curriculum was like every single class is just supposed to weed you out from freshman year on. It's just like, we want to tell you you're not cut out for this. And for that reason alone, it was like, there was the entry, right? It's okay. Well, inherently you have, what percentage of the student body that's taking these classes and you're just telling them outright, you think they're going to fail. And it's like, well, okay, I might not love it, but I do love the idea of what you've challenged me with. Um, so I did, I mean, I got through it, um, was ready to go. And I think in applying that same methodology in any scenario, I mean, we're talking about any industry, right? It's, it's kind of like there, there's a challenge, but to say that things in general are impossible, it, maybe it's that I just personally don't like that concept, but there is yet to be a curveball that hasn't eventually been hit. I might have struck out a fair amount of times, but eventually I struck one. So I think in that way, that pre-medical background um, 
helped. Everything was a puzzle and eventually could figure it out, even if it took me eight times as long with my textbook as the savants in the class. Um, and I guess grad school wise, that's a little bit different perspective where I didn't actually start straight out. Um, so I know a lot of people and a lot of former players um, take that route of they kind of graduate and they go straight into a GA ship somewhere. I actually didn't start grad school until two years after I graduated. Wasn't super comfortable doing the full-time work yet um, with full-time school. Um, I will say those two years were two of the toughest ones trying to balance both with travel, but uh, in the same way that presented a nice perspective being in a specific industry and then going back to learn kind of the theoretic, the theoretical frameworks behind it where I think getting to put verbiage to things I had already seen really helped flesh out my knowledge and depth of understanding of things. I think the breadth of things was already pretty on par with kind of the professors and the, the rest of the class, which helped facilitate a lot of the conversations I had to be kind of skipping past a lot of the minutia and getting towards more of the questions that would help me that were more applicable to my job. So I think having a perspective in the field and then going into that program was really helpful in me identifying really what I wanted to get out of it um, instead of being more passive and just taking notes from people and kind of taking that as my first and only opinion. I had a more diversified outlook. No, that's some great insight and, and certainly uh, can be a lesson that, that a lot of others can take. Um, all right, last question for you as we wrap up this episode. Uh, you're from Seattle, so favorite favorite athlete you looked up to growing up? Oh, in that man, area. this is a good call out moment. Um, I will always be partial to the kid. I think Griffey was. There's a huge amount of nostalgia <laughs> behind. I think the Kingdom. I remember I was standing at my window, um, really far. So this is just context wise would be tough to to say, but it's like across the sound essentially Puget Sound up there and uh, where I used to live. And I remember it was all over the news and that was a huge thing to me. It was kind of the end of an, an era for him. And he was, he really saved baseball in Seattle. Um, but I think him and then my random favorite basketball player, I think I'll throw that out there and people can have their opinions of what they want, but bas basketball is Seattle's a basketball city to me. Um, my favorite is Seattle, Seattle Sonics for sure. And uh, I think my favorite player used to be Desmond Mason. I don't know if anybody remembers him, but that used to be my favorite player. It's not Gary or Sean. Of course, I love those guys. But um, I would say Gary, Gary Payton's up there for fame. But Desmond Mason and then Sue Bird for the Storm are probably the two I watched growing up. So it's kind of funny that I get to work with Sue now um, or around her. Yeah. Where my whole sports career has been like I, I either watched her when I was like little tiny baby Elliot getting her first championships or I've gotten to work with her both at Seattle U to help um, with the storm and then now with the national team. So it's it's been an interesting, funny career trajectory where somewhere along the way, Sue's been there for me to to watch as, again, someone to look up to. So it's kind of a funny funny thing in that way. I'm sure she has no idea. 
Well, definitely, definitely uh, not a bad person to look up to or follow. But no, not at all. Sure. Not at all. Um, She's kind so, of so Elliot, Elliot, yeah, no, definitely a Seattle icon and and uh, also women's basketball icon too in general, just oh, as, yeah. as a whole. Um, so Elliot, really appreciate your time on the podcast today, uh, being part of the uh, Seattle U MSBL series. Um, you know, presenting sports biz leaders mindsets, uh, really excited, uh, to see what you do Thank from you here on out. Thanks for having me. And again,